Blog Talk Radio. Excuse. 
in court. Yet when the police, who, let's just keep this in mind, these folks are supposed to be experts in criminal law. They're supposed to be the experts. When these people murder and kill or maim, whether it's on video or what have you, there's always the ignorance, excuse, the benefit of the doubt. You always have these situations where that comes up. You can never indict the police. Part of that problem, in my opinion, is who you're going to. You're really getting their peers. And and I, I want to be frank and clear, because it's, it's about time tonight that we clear up something. I listen to black people tell me time and time again how... African Americans seem to not march, complain, protest black on black crime. That's a bunch of BS. People protest, complain, demonstrate, volunteer to stop it. If you want to go into urban areas and the biggest opponents, of black-on-black crime, who are not getting paid, by the way. And if they are getting paid, they're getting paid peanuts compared to their white counterparts, are African-Americans. And I'm saying that to tie in that if you take a jury of our peers, and let's say the shoe was on the other foot, two black cops, one black cop, a cop and a half, a midget cop, a cop in his canine, a SWAT team of black cops shoot, kill an unarmed white male, white female, Mexican, Mandarin, or I mean, sorry, Chinese, Hmong, Somali, whomever. If there's proof. We are going to convict those cops. If we see one of our brother or sisters who are not cops, and they kill an unarmed person and it's on video, you ain't getting no hung jury. Because morally we understand that that's not right. And that's the conversation that needs to be had in this country. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to have that talk. Nobody wants to have that conversation. But that's the conversation that really needs to be had. That's the conversation that we need to be talking about. And when I see people complain about Black Lives Matter, and when I see people complain about the protest and and how uh, it's not fair you know, that they're holding up people from making it on the airport with their loved ones, I have to think to myself and ask the question. My my auntie was murdered 
seven years ago. It was a hit and run. She was walking home from work, had car problems, so she was walking. The woman was doing something with a radio, hit my auntie, kept rolling. Didn't spend a day in jail. Uh, matter of fact, my auntie had has two young boys, uh, Alex and Marcus. There was no settlement from that woman's insurance company to look out for them boys. They are without their mother tonight. So many people who are listening to this broadcast have had relatives who've been gunned down in the streets by black folks. I've had relatives that's been killed by the police. It's a, That's the largest inconvenience, to be sitting at a dinner table, not having your mother at the dinner table, to be ha- uh, having holidays and, and not see relatives that you're accustomed to seeing, laughing with. That's the inconvenience. And the police in this country is causing, in my opinion, the most catastrophic inconvenience. So It's so catastrophic based off the fact that people, when they are pulled over, if you got to write the ticket, write the ticket. If that's your job, you catch me speeding, hey, write my ticket. But no one is pulling over because they want to get beaten. So somebody is telling you, because I am the authority, pull over. Well, you know, when you pull over and it's the authority, you, okay, you're feeling like, hey, you, you're supposed to be able to feel at least. Like your life is not in danger. But right now it's almost like asking the lamb to stop running for the wolf. So when I see these things go to these grand juries and I see these cops getting their peers, and by the way, most of their peers are Caucasian. Let's not mince words about it. And they're getting off. Indict a ham sandwich, as the saying goes. But when the police tend to murder black folks, you can't indict the cops. Part of that problem is because these same people who are supposed to be indicting these cops are also their colleagues. Those are the things that black folks around this country are are putting up with. These are the things that are people kind of stressed out over. Uh, You know, and and I don't mind people protesting. Yo, it's not my thing. I was having a conversation yesterday about that. It's not my thing, you know, but I think they have a right to do it. I don't mind them doing it, you know, even if it means that it's going to stop me from uh, going where I need to go and slowing me down. That that doesn't bother me. But in the end, that's that's not something that black folks should be complaining about. Because when you start seeing it, it went from, Rodney King in the 90s to now Sandra Bland. I'm sorry. Somebody better stand up and say something or do something. So that's the main thing. Another thing that I saw in the news, uh, which I thought was pretty cool, I saw that the family of Mike Brown went and visited the U.N., 
and the United Nations are now asking, how come African Americans don't have the same rights as white people in the United States? Now, somewhere there's some bootlicking Negro that's going to tell you because they got a white boss or white friend that they got the same rights. Well, I, I wish you well on the plantation. But for the majority of people, we don't have the same rights. Haven't had the same rights for since we got on these shores. I heard a phrase that I thought was pretty rich uh, about African Americans, and they said that, you know, and it's fact, you know, everyone else that came to this country outside of Native Americans who are native to the land and African Americans are asked to come here. But the African American is the unintended citizen. They never intended for us to be citizens. They brought us over here to be chattel slavery, uh, slaves. We're brought over here to be property. We were brought over here to be so much of property, they wrote it into their constitution. Those are things that we have to look at. Those are things that we have to study. Those are things that we have to to really uh, dig deep into it. But, it, it, you know, when you see the families go to the United Nations and you see the U.S., uh, so many officials sit on cable television, you know, lying about, the rights that all Americans have. The African American is the original American because it was more of us over here than there were actually Europeans at one point. And then they had an influx of folks who migrated or, you know, over from Europe. But, you know, that's just what it is. And we gotta, you know, we gotta keep it real uh, with these folks, and we gotta keep it real amongst ourselves. You know, uh, we are in a ugly position right now, and part of it is because a lot of the foolishness that we've allowed others amongst us to blovicate about, lie about, change the subject because they're doing well and they're doing okay. So I, I thought that was pretty sharp. I, I thought. Any time that, you know, you could take this thing international when you, we're talking about, and I'm not even talking about civil rights. I'm talking about just human rights. Because as a human being, no one deserves to be gunned down. I don't care what your color is, black, white, uh, yellow, brown, red. No one deserves to be gunned down. And in my humble opinion, I think that if you're gunning folks down in that fashion, you need to be doing some kind of jail time. There's never an excuse for a cop who's trained in hand-to-hand combat, who's trained and got other tools to slow up anybody. There's never an excuse for the police to be killing and gunning citizens down. We've seen that inside of Chicago. We've seen it inside of Minneapolis recently. And I'll tell you, my Twin City people, I know uh, Sister Nakima and all of them are kicking up a lot of dust, and they're doing what they're doing their part. Everyone else has to play their part. The protest alone won't get it done. We have to stop with the miseducating of our children, that's the biggest problem, and, and part of that issue is we got a lot of miseducated older black folks. That miseducation is a problem. 
You know, when you, I sit and listen to a lot of miseducated black people talk, and they think, well, because I work, I got a job, and I got a degree, and because my life is good, I know what I'm talking about, because, yeah, your life is good enough amongst the people who look like you, who are not doing so well collectively in the country. But to your white counterparts, your life ain't so great if you really measured it out. If you really saw how hard you work compared to your white counterparts, and, and you can hear when they complain. But think about how hard you work and how little pay you got or how little power you got at your job. Now, you take that and you magnify that over a group of people. And you think about institutions that once stood how after the founders of these institutions, I'm talking about black institutions, passed away their children or the people who bought the institutions out that looked like them, sold them over to Europeans. That's a, that's a bit of miseducation. But most of those people who, who did that kind of shenanigans look at where they were educated at. So if we want to stop this black-on-black crime, we want to stop the police from killing us, yes, it does linger on education. That's That's a big part. Because the miseducation doesn't allow you to collectively come together and stop these things from happening. That's all miseducation. The miseducation of not knowing how to get the laws in your favor based off the fact that you're thinking in your mind, man, I'm a human being. That's cool you feel that way. The rest of the world don't see it that way, even though they tell you that's how they see it. If you think I'm lying, go into a black restaurant and watch how many white people in your community actually frequent the black restaurant. Now, here's the thing. White folks going to eat. I'm not saying that you ain't going to see some white people. Let me drop some white folks that's going to be in there that's going to be eating. But overall... No, you won't see white people eating in those restaurants because the support level just isn't there. Just isn't there because they are programmed to shop and do business with their own. They don't want to be doing business with us. Only time they are going, a lot of them are going to eat in restaurants is, you know, not a black-owned restaurant, a black chef. Then you go and go to a white restaurant in your same community and see how many black folks are inside of those restaurants eating. See, black people still we we haven't we're not understanding the rules of the game. We're still rolling off this whole thing that we're all human, this commonality. Which, if white supremacy wasn't around, that'd be a great thought. Yeah, we all human. But the flip side of it is white supremacy still exists and persists, and you can tell by the racism of the institutions, like the judicial institutions, where you got in the highest court of the land, Justice Scalia saying that black folks are not mentally equipped to go to Ivy League schools with white folks. You can go and look down to the prosecutorial system or the institutions around the country and look and see how hard it is 
for black folks to even get a cop charged for the murder of a black person. They won't even charge him for beating up a black person. Just think about that for a second. And then go a step down and then go into the education institutions where the information of what they're teaching the children is white supremacy, is based in white supremacy. So these children are, are learning to be uh, inferior mentally to whites. These are institutional issues. So when you talk about our humanity, you have to remember, yeah, we, we're we talking humanity because we don't have the institutions in place to offset some of the things that their institutions are doing to us. And that's the biggest problem. That's the biggest issue. That's the biggest fight, creating those institutions. I'll be back in one moment. You know, from time to time when it's, we're flying, I'm uh, waiting on the brothers to come in, but I want to see where they at here. I'll be back in a moment. You ever see that stuff to be when it get cold, that ice that you can't see? That's how shit happens sometimes. Now you know and I know I done bumped every hole in the wall, y'all Did you catch that phone call? Most of y'all didn't make me Thought I was tall Get flip like a deal Slip real on the black ice Did you think twice? Home slice came in He went satisfied Got bent balls Ain't shit Mutant coast to coast Yeah, I left the boat Man, dose is dope Too many coming close Cause touch was I never touched before Seen was I never seen before Woke up and seen the sun Sky high Sky high Circulate like a Sunday paper Papers caught long time The cheap Flicks, good picks, pay hard. Watch the heart turn sideways, cause it's tail. Blue rail sales to those with loose cares. Players give you life for now. Feeling good and warm. Windows roll tight, 35 degrees. Nip it tonight. Don't forget the chapstick. Lips dry quick. When the jack out, make you wanna act out. Take the slack out, so people black out. Touch what I never touched came before. Back out. Seen what I never seen before. Woke up and seen the sun. Sky high, sky high. Touch what I never touched before, seen what I never seen before, woke up and seen the sun, sky high. I've been in it for the past few days Tight of the face, I know all my place And can I rap, can I adapt, not really sure yet Who that looking over the shoulders of those bright dreams Feeling for the taste of Miss All Miss Class stayed in the hall Looking for a squeeze play, better yet a holiday Stayed away from the pyramid for a game Broke it down to a neighborhood slang Cash before fame Sky high, sky high, sky high Now who done stepped in? The nigga to be I the secret weapon. Boy, I slickin' in black eyes. So many slow that rice that wedding. So quick flex. We speaking about something that's repression to the earlobe. Pay for the room and still be in pimp mode like iceberg. Chrysler and Buick. Some niggas ain't on their job, so them suckers seem to lose it. Abuse their privileges and not the whole villages. Been shot to pieces. Cause niggas are biting that same stupid shit. I mean that bitches. Boy, don't beat me if you ain't got no work. I'm strictly about these verses like the ones you hear at church, boy. Search, boy. Talking about your dope and like lurch, boy. Every time I heard you rhyming like a fucking jerk, boy. Simple. Friends, Roman. Country man, lemme your eardrums, it was a beautiful day off in the neighborhood. 
Yellows and greens and blues and browns and grays and hues that ooze beneath dilapidated wood. Ain't a thing could explain what pertains to cocaine and sustaining rain. See summer rolls around, niggas all about change. Then they said it moved them keys like Bob James. Cause old man winners arrive, the temperature dies, November just died, December July. Thus it ain't no typical ride. This individual's way to bring home. The bacon when bacon was all wrong. Making it our own, taking me all wrong. We've all indulged in the bulge of those no no no. You ain't so low, it's even lower level you can go. Take sun people, put them in the land of snow. Touch was I never t- Sometimes, man, I, I find our people hilarious. You know, right now on the Internet, I got all these black folks posting and pasting um, that Mark Zuckerberg is giving shares away of Facebook. Man, is y'all crazy. This is the ignorance that I'm talking about, that we, we have to be a little bit better, man. We... Our heads are so filled up with misinformation that we're hopping on anything because we're hoping for a miracle. You know, our people are hoping for something, man. White folks ain't looking for that. You know, they ain't looking for that handout. It's, we're looking for the handout, and part of it is because of our economic situation. But, no, he will not be giving away any shares. Do not believe that. Do not copy-paste that garbage. Do not fall for the banana in the tailpipe. It ain't happening. You heard it here. It ain't happening. I don't know why every year I, I see this foolishness where people start talking about Facebook going to charge folks. And it's almost like, it, it, you know, it, it's funny. It's almost like people forgot that, that all this stuff happened the year before. These are like annual posts of misinformation. You know, they say we live in information age, man. A lot of misinformation out here. A lot of misinformation. With that being said, let's talk about us. Because that's really the main focus, us. What are we going to do in 2016 that's going to be different in 2015? Black folks, I, I just want to say... We have to stop thinking that God is going to step in and save us. I I just want to say that one more time. We have to stop thinking that God is going to step in and save us. There are other people, ethnic groups, that have been wiped off the planet. This is why history is important. And this is why you really don't get a good sense of history if all you really go off for your history reference is religious books. Because the religious books don't detail all of the people on the planet. Stories in Northern Africa can't tell you about stories that happened inside of North America South America, Australia. A lot of it has a European twist to it. But it's not detailed enough to give you all these accounts of history. So we can't believe, like other folks, that we are the chosen ones. We have to act 
accordingly every day like it's the fourth quarter. We're down by 12. There's three minutes to go. We need every bucket and six stops. Our defense has to be impeccable. Our offensive sets have to be exact. And we're playing on the road. So we need to be tone deaf to the crowd. To you brothers and sisters who are listening, who did not purchase anything during Christmas, I want to salute you. I want to give y'all props because I feel like it's easy, you know. I, it's you know my children are used to getting something. This year they didn't get anything. They didn't get a thing, and they're cool with that because we're like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll give you money. You, you don't, you don't need a gift. I mean, what can you give a kid that has everything? Nothing you can give a child that has everything. Our children have almost everything, and if they don't have it, it ain't like they can't have it. So what do you get that child? Well, I think the best thing you could give them is some family love, some advice, and some preparation for their future. And that's our focus this year. That's our focus. Because when you're in the fourth quarter and you're down by 12 with three minutes to go, you don't have any baskets that you can just let the other team get. Your defense, when it's impeccable, you're sliding in front of the man. You're, hey, if you got to take a charge, you take the charge. You're playing the passing lanes because you need easy baskets, but you can't give up no baskets. And that's where we need to be at as a people. We can end our year that way, and then we can start all of next year. Start, I'm sorry, start the year, and then go all of next year doing that. So that's very important. I just hit up my brothers to see where they're at. You know, it's the season. Um, so I'm pretty sure they probably are. Um, I had Brother Marcus Harkins and Brother Adrian coming on. But either which way, I'm happy to be ran. You know, uh, shout out to uh, Brother Rodney and uh, Sister Angela Thomas and uh, Brother Levon. I got to always show love to the folks on the network. You know, these things that we are going through around this country – this stuff is, is just on repeat. So we have to make sure that we're not making the same errors. So my, my tip to anyone who is listening, if you're in your house figuring, hey, man, this stuff is frustrating to me, what can I do to change the situation in my town? Here's Rat Radio's. Advice. First thing you need to do is find some like-minded people. You only need two to three other people. The second thing I recommend you do is don't put what you're going to do in social media until your plan is hatched. All you're doing is promoting it. 
So you're trying to get your stuff off the ground. So using social media as a promoter. And if you can create jobs, you can change the outcome of some people in your community. And I'm not talking about middleman in it either because we have to remember we got to get out of the middleman business. White folks have staked that out, and they are going to be middlemen for a while until we learn how to create institutions to A, do the middleman, and then B, back those of us who want to become middlemen because that's very important. That's very important. As many African-Americans we have losing their lives in this country, there should be a African-American life insurance policy business. It should be. Because we're losing too many of our people to not to have it. The other thing that we, we should be doing is if you feel like, but you know what, I'm not a business person. Maybe I, you want to educate. Homeschooling is good. Maybe you can do homeschooling. If you don't want to do homeschooling and you're a teacher, you, you actually just want to get out and educate in other fashion, you can also team up with some more folks in private. Don't tell nobody. And figure out a way to come up with come up with some charter schools to help your people. So these are the things that I'm saying that you can do. Just to start off, these are small things. But it all starts with sitting down, meeting in private, having what Brother Rodney called gathering, what me and my brothers called bill sessions. And y'all sit down and you plan it out. If it takes you six months, nine months, a year, you plan it out. And then once you plan it out, you go into work because nothing happens because nothing happens instantly that's that's going to be successful and good. It takes time. You know, even if you wanted to do a T-shirt business, you can't do a T-shirt business by just saying, hey, I'm going to make T-shirts. You have to sit down, you have to draw up the designs, you have to think about your target um, customer base, you have to think about shipping, you have to think about manufacturing, the type of t-shirt, uh, the t-shirts you're going to use, the fabric, I mean. So it's a lot of thought that you have to go into it. So the whole purpose of this is that if you can make these changes yourself, it's just going to take some coordination if you are serious about it. And something that, you know, this generation has lost is just being quiet, being silent. Because loose lips are doing more than sinking ships these days. But those are some of the ways that you can help our people out. Get your feet in, you know, get your hands in, in, in involved. And help out more. I'm trying to make sure I cover some more topics. I, I know this is my last show for the year. Next week we will not be broadcasting. And part of it is because I'm going to enjoy my my last week off, vacation from my um, day job. And I'm going to actually 
enjoy it. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I always tell people, man, I'm, I'm celebrating for three people: myself, my father, and my brother Orlando. So I celebrate for us three. So when I'm bored, all three of us are bored. When I'm, um, <laughs> when I'm enjoying myself, it's an enjoyment for all three of us. So I'm living it up for the people who are not here. So that's what it's going to be next week. Oh, you know what? I, I didn't want to forget this topic because I felt like this was a, a, a uh, topic that I really wanted to uh, dive more into. I, I, I talked about it a little bit on the show on Monday. But I, one of the things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way this week was the whole R. Kelly thing. And the reason why it really rubbed me the wrong way, because like I said with the Mark Zuckerberg thing, is that a lot of the stuff is just repeat stuff. R. Kelly, yes, he had the sex tape. Ten years ago Is he wrong If it was a young girl Yes he is wrong I saw the tapes When everybody say the tape is clear I saw the tape man The tape wasn't clear to me it Looked real grainy I couldn't tell you who it was If it was Robert Kelly Bobby Kelly Bobby Jimmy Or you know what I'm saying Jason Kelly I couldn't tell you Right? The other thing is that happened a decade ago. And I'm sorry. Why am I talking about R. Kelly when Sister Sandra Bland just got this cold dish of justice served to her? Every time I see that pictures, the, the sister's picture, whether I'm on social media or I'm just online looking at, um, Looking at news sources, it 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 does something to me. It does. It really do. It it makes you, as a man, feel a certain way to know that one of your sisters could be pulled over and murdered in a cell. Your daughter can be pulled over and murdered in a cell. And this cop, or cops, plural, whomever helped him do it, are at home right now drinking eggnog. and They're not worried about anything. They're not stressing anything. Hell, they're liable to get a promotion. I don't want to hear about R. Kelly because to me he's not that relevant in this situation. Now, do we as black folks got things we need to clean up? We do. Too many R. Kellys in our community, if you ask me. Not just for little girls. A large portion of our community that is being molested are boys. No one hears their cries. Part of it is because if that comes out, then the little boys feel like they lost some of their manhood. So they keep that a secret. 
far too many youth coaches, pastors, mentors are molesting little boys as well. That's one thing. The other thing is that we have a large influx of African-American men in the ghettos of America who are dealing with younger girls, and that needs to come to an end. We have to be real about that, but that's something that we deal with in-house. That's not something that we wait for somebody to come across the pond as the white folk would say, and deal with that on our behalf. That's some in-house stuff. And and we got to get serious about our children because as long as the old is eating the young, there will be no young. And we have to be more intended, intentional on that, we have to be more focused on that. That's that's a focus to me that I feel that we have dropped the ball on is protecting our youth. And a lot of it is because we go so back and forth between black male and female adults is so heavy that the kids get lost in the wash. That That's something that we really have to think about we really have to think about and we really have to be more proactive in protecting our children and this is not necessarily solely about R. Kelly I want to say that again when you have the Catholic Pope who has to come out and apologize on the behalf of archbishops and priest for molestation of boys, and all of them have not have been served justice. I don't want to hear about R. Kelly from that woman. As a matter of fact, I think it's just pure out distraction. That's just my opinion. Oh, we got one brother on the uh, line. Let's get Brother Adrian in. Hey, oh, the Brother Marcus. Hey, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hello? Hello? Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, hey, what's up, Rico? This is Adrian, man. How's it going, Oh, it's Adrian. What's up, bro? How you doing? I'm sorry, brother. I'm good, 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 good. Sorry it took me a while to get clicked in, but the family demands didn't allow us, man. It sounds like it's a good show going on. Sounds like it's a real good show, brother. How's it going? Oh, man, everything is going good, man. You know, it's uh, it's the year-end show, so we were just talking about a few topics from the uh, Sandra Bland situation to uh, what was going on over at the uh, airport and Mall of America with Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. Um, and also this whole uh, R. Kelly um, talk that's going around based off the Huffington Post interview by this uh, British woman. Yeah. Yeah, well, I thought it was a sister. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. This is some British woman, you know, and and, and what, what, you know what, here's the thing. Her questioning him about what he did to me wasn't the the, the major issue. To me, it was Mm -hmm. the fact that when he was saying that he didn't want to talk about it, 
But then he told her, you know what, I, you know what, man, I, I'm just here for the people, and you know I love everybody. I love you too. And she told him, don't tell me you love me. He said, mm. you know, I'm just doing it for beautiful people, and you know you don't have to talk about my physical. And the way the tone that she went at him, and I, I've seen that too many times from white women to know where that was going. Mm. And. That was a victimhood that she was about to take on, that she had no business because when you come souped up and charged at a person and you're saying these things, even, I mean, a professional, you know, if you're doing something professionally, be professional about it. She wasn't professional uh, with the situation like she could have been. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's what turned me off about it. Now, I'm not even taking up for R. Kelly and what he done and what he done, but man, it was a decade ago, and and at this point, yeah, man, I <laughs> I know too much about Hollywood to to just be saying it's just R. Kelly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and and I'm not trying to give anyone else a pass for their past transgressions. I'm not trying to give him a pass, but I remember how Mark Bruchier did that to Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he was just trying to make a name for himself, and. We got to know when people are doing things for good intentions versus intending to make themselves good. All right, all right. But what's on your mind for the end of the year, brother? What's on? What, what's something that you would like for black folks to focus on at the end of the year? Oh man, oh bro, I, I wish I came prepared to be able to talk about that. I mean, there's a lot that I wish I wish we could put on the table. You know, a lot. I think you covered some of the topics and issues that kind of concern me and that's uh the indictment of black men um and the re-indictment of black men i guess in the case of r and kelly you know because i i agree with you i would never stand to test to defend or justify anything r kelly do as a matter of fact i hope that he falls off the face of the earth as far as career-wise and having a level of cultural influence over you know, black men, that's just me. But, right. you know, I definitely know how that played out with a British journalist. And I want to say there was another interview he did recently, too, that was a little controversial. But I, I think that's the one that people are talking about as well. It's the it's one with this British journalist and how he made several comments and really tried to sway away from that conversation and just really focus on, you know, giving the people what they want, talking about entertainment and his career and where he's at. And she wasn't interested in that. She, as a whatever kind of background journalist and research she did, she was interested in re-indicting him for his past discretions and his past conduct and bringing that up again as another black man, um, um, making decisions that are, are sex, you know, uh, his sexual conduct towards uh, minors, and and that's problematic, you know, in a sense of her professional. I think her professional career was compromised, you know, and a lot of people ain't gonna discuss that. As a journalist, yeah, you are looking for the facts, but you're also um, a, in charge of creating a tale and a narrative on what's true and what's not true, based off of the discretions of your company or institution that you work for. So right. you can't take it upon yourself to have a conversation about a subject that he's not 
preview to or at least discussing or being uh, uh, made aware to discuss. And two, I mean, it sounds like she took it on her own self to go into that direction. I don't know if that was the goal of that particular interview. So, you know, she had a, uh, she definitely had a lens and she had um, a perspective. And for the most part, she led with her assumptions on what she chose to do with that interview with R. Kelly. And I guess the brother did the right thing the best to his capacity, and he got up out of there, you know. <laughs> he took off, you know, because he exactly. knew that wasn't and, and you know what? And, and you know what? And, and to me, when I saw that he, he got he went off, and the thing is, people are making, like, why didn't he uh, sit and answer the question? I'm like, man, you know, and... When you when you get in legal advice, a lawyer yeah. would have told me up in legal. A lawyer would have told him not to do that. Yeah. You know, so we we have to be honest, and 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 I that's the thing that I worry about with our people. I was talking about mm-hmm. our miseducation earlier, is that we don't know how the court of public opinion works. It seems, mm-hmm. and we don't know how, and I'm talking collectively, uh, we don't know how the law works either. You know, you have mm-hmm. to put yourself in positions where, because whatever he would have said, nobody they can't go back and refile charges on the brother. That's but right. at the same time, what that woman was doing, you know, she was very careful in her wording because she mm-hmm. know she knew what she was insinuating. She wouldn't yep. say it because if she would have said it, she would have been sued for defamation mm-hmm. of character because mm-hmm. he's never been convicted of any of the things that she's talking about. Right. You know, if I if I got on here and I call R. Kelly a child molester, he could sue me for the little pennies I got. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been convicted of any of those things. And and you know, although we know he did it. <laughs> well, well, you know what? Here's my thing. I saw the tape. The tape to me wasn't clear enough for me. But I'm gonna take people at the word. I'm taking Sparkle at her word, right? That that was her mm-hmm. cousin. What have you? Mm-hmm. I, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say that that didn't happen because here's my thing. I know that we were celebrating Kamora Lee. It's an interesting story on how her and Russell started dating. It is. Russell taking her out to dinner when she was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And then you marry her when she turns 18. Sounds Woody Allen-ish to me. That's just me. Yeah. But no one's calling Russell a pedophile. And you should, are we sure he wasn't hitting it when she was 17? How do we know? Mm-hmm. See, we have to take them at their word. So my thing is, it's so much stuff, in my opinion, that goes on because we're not protecting our young kids. And at the protection, the R. Kelly situation to me just shows a couple of things. First thing was, you know, the parents took a lot of money to make that go away. So I, in my opinion, it's always bad when parents... Um, you know, we, we talked about this in the situation of the young man in Chicago when they took the money to be hushed for the uh, police department, the $5 million, the mother who wasn't even raising the kid. So when we this, this young girl in our Kelly case, the mother and father took settlement money so this stuff can go away. And I think that I don't know what the mindset of the daughter was, but as a father, you couldn't pay me enough if you did that to my daughter. That's right. Right. And I think that's I think that's what we need to get to as a people. Uh, we have to get to the point where we can't be bought, uh, where we, we really have to get to the point where if we're selling our own self out or selling out our family, 
that it leaves such a bad taste in our mouths that we'll hesitate, you know, that we'll hesitate first and then we'll step back from selling ourselves out. We got to get back to that, brother. Truly agree. I truly agree. And there's a lot of internal work that we have to do as a people to make sure we're not selling ourselves out. And, right. And it's a wide spectrum of how we do that and 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 on what levels it happen on. I think we sell ourselves out too much for in, in entertainment. I think oh, we yeah. compromise you know, our values and our ethics and what we choose to support and for the folks who are in the position of producing entertainment, I think they sell us out all the time for career ambitions and for financial, you know, gain. And that's problematic for us. But, I, I mean, it's so many levels that we do as a people tend to sell ourselves out consciously and unconsciously, you know. And I, I think going into the next decade or two, in the next few years, 2016 and beyond, I think we're at a... I think we're at a good junction where we need to have more honest conversations about, you know, black nationalism, black development, internal work, and collective identity, and the values and the structure that we can support. Now, again, you know, doing this to, like you said, to protect ourselves, to protect our young people, to protect our generation. We're also doing it because we have to put... A, comp, a, a, a standard, a barrier, criteria to how we do politics within our community, to how mm. we do business, to how we do relationships, how we do connection and partnership, because we are selling ourselves out too much. And, and we are, for the most part, buying in in subtle and unconscious ways to methods of institutionalized and internalized white supremacy and it shows up not as us hating ourselves and always having this contempt for ourselves but it shows up in our career ambitions it shows up in our educational pursuit it shows up with who we have on our shoulders I mean on our elbows it shows up you know in you know what we're willing to sacrifice in order to create comfort in our life and who we're willing to sacrifice in order to create comfort in our life you know, so I, I'm I'm speaking kind of very abstract and kind of around the bush, but I, I'm just to answer your question that you proposed earlier. Like, what are some of the things that been a little reflective on for you know at the end of this year? That I'm I'm concerned about our people. I I think we're at a good point. You know, once again, where we can have some real honest and strong conversations about who we are, and we could really are pushing strong, committed agendas to, you know, really doing some organizing and some deep-level organizing, some public work, um, and and really some strong ethnic collective identity amongst ourselves. We we got some really good opportunities to do some self-education, um, to do some um, cooperative relationship building and establishing um, strong mores and values and how we support ourselves. I think this is a right moment for black people to say we have to do for black people, and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to be apologetic about that, that it's almost sane and right for us to do for black people. I mean, I mean, we, we it's written on the wall now, I mean, from 
the 300 and something cases this year of police brutality and killings by law enforcement um, from the discrepancies that we're seeing in health care and health opportunities and people dying from um, medical procedures or the lack of medical care um, in large you know, institutions, health institutions across the nation, we're seeing it with the increasing, not decreasing, but increasing dropout rate of black students in public education and institutions that can't seem to understand that traditional educational methods is centralized on white methodology. You know, like we can go through the gambit of many different facets of black life and black experience that is giving us clear indication that we really need to do for ourselves. We really need to develop ourselves. We really need to collectively pull a stronger piece to ourselves. You know, now, again, you know me, I'm not the one to be hauling off the sand we need to unify. That is a empty, useless, unfunctioning, non-functioning <laughs> rhetoric. I don't believe that, oh, we need to just all come together and unify. No, that's ridiculous. No group of people have ever done that. But I do think we have room um, and conversations for sitting at the table, negotiating and bargaining and coming out with levels of unanimity that says that we disagree on this, but we largely agree on this. And we are going to work from the area that we agree on, you know, so that way we're not asking and and throwing out this um, ridiculous rhetoric and this ridiculous hope for uniformity and conformity. You know, no black people are not ever going to be unified because no group of people has ever been unified in one voice, one politics, one economics, one mass movement. It's always been complex. And to go to your point that you said earlier, even amongst group of people who have been oppressed and have been able to move in collective critical mass functions, there have always been ranks of people amongst them who sold them out, who've left the groups of people unprotected. You can look at the Jewish history and see there was Jewish elites who sold working-class Jews out left and right, left them hanging during their experience. You can go amongst the Irish and see that there was always Irish who sided with the Anglos during their whole 500-year history or 700-year history of being oppressed by the English. I mean, every group. And I hate even to say this about the indigenous, my indigenous brothers and sisters, but they wasn't. There's no such thing as them being unified. Native Americans is a modern-day concept. But when you go into the history, we're talking about different groups of people that had different politics, Ojibwe, the Choctaw, um, the Dakota, the Akinawis, the what we now call the Blackfoot, so the French call the Seminoles, and, you know, all these different folks. Like, the, the, there was many d- different groups of people who, and when they intersected with the English and the early folks who um, imperialized this country, they sold each other out. You know, they left each other unprotected, and solidarity Definitely. didn't develop until much later. So Definitely. it it makes sense why... Um, the five nations in the northern, northeastern hemisphere in the United States came together in the level of unanimity. And, and we're talking about the Oneidas, the uh, Hawanaans, and 
can't remember the other three groups' names, but these five nations came together. Native nations came together and said, we have a common oppressor, and that's those white, you know, weird-looking motherfuckers that's sitting amongst these colonial areas down in Massachusetts and down in Virginia and said, we got to do something about that. And right. and they already had an existing relationship and partnership with one another because that's how they did business. But they became even more solidified in how they did politics with one another and and um, supported each other against the English. You know. And right. So anyway, point is to say is that you know deeper history reveals that no group of people has ever been unified they've never waited until this great day of unity where everybody is throwing their fist up and screaming one thing together before we moved on political issues and policies before we moved on economic endeavors to save ourselves before we moved on educational policies and educational efforts to re-educate ourselves we've never waited for that day it's always been small efforts local grassroots initiative local um what we call local initiative that has just begin efforts that begin the little ripples in the water and develop different movements to help our people to develop different efforts and different manifestations of progress to help our people. So we just have to do the work for 2016. I'm hoping that black folks are willing to just say, I might not agree with this person, but I'm willing to find one or two things that we do agree upon and be willing to gear our politics towards that, to gear our action towards that, you know, that there is a pressing need for us to protect our children, like you mentioned earlier. There's a pressing need for us to be able to re-educate ourselves. I hope, I hope that we we re-engage the conversations of reparations again. I hope we do. And whether or not we make a collective critical movement to bring something to Senate and to Congress, you know, that's, that's, that's not the measure of success. I think the measure of success is that it's a right moment for us to create a critical mass political agenda for black folks. And then two, it's a perfect opportunity to educate ourselves, you know, and that's what we forget about what Callie House did in the late 19th century going into the 20th century and, and what we did in the 60s and 61 and 62 to bring restitution back on the table and analyzing our experience and what Reparation Ray did in Detroit in 1992, which spurred um, John Conyers to start issuing that bill, you know, pushing that bill as much as he can. It's the educational piece that restitution and reparation pushed an effort for black folks to educate themselves about themselves, about our plight, about our condition, about our economics in America. It gave us a refresh of who we are. It it taught us something about who we are because we're running into this age of just non-critical thinking black folks. You know, we're not politicized, man. We're We're not thinking about, we're not historically... This is new for us. I mean, if you know, it is. You know what's sad, brother? You know what's What's so sad is that we used to be the people that wanted to have the tough dialogue. Mm -hmm. We are now the people who run away from it. And to me, to me, 
that shows that, and, and, and here's the thing, I don't, the world, we're, 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 we're citizens of the world. So, of course, we're going to be rubbing elbows with other folks in, in passing. But there's some traits that we need to keep as our own trait. That's right. And our trait was bringing, speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. And somehow we've adapted to to those folks who say, I'm going to cower to that. And right. that cowering has infected us on all levels, brother. That's right. That's right. Let me give you a case in point to that, because you hit that perfectly on the nail, my brother. Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, okay. powerful brother today, scientist, I mean, the one of the leading scholars in the scientific field, studying everything in astronomy, astrology, can give you, he's the one that pushed research into reframing Pluto as not being a planet, but just a, being a planet body. So that, mm. you know, now uh, astronomers now don't think Pluto is an actual planet. Now they know that it's just kind of a fragment of a, a planet body and just reframe the whole conversation to where they, they had to adapt to it because they can see the, the connection. Of what, the brother is powerful in the field. But... Right. He had a very interesting, he says, and kind of com- conflicting interview in 2007 or 2008-2007 where journalists from the scientific, uh, I can't remember what journal, interviewed him and was asking him questions about, you know, and framing a conversation of him being a black person and being in this field. And... And, of course, the journalist coming from the perspective of, of his own white social frame and making assumptions and, you know, leading with that black inferiority thing of, of white supremacy. And he, Dr. Degrassi Tyson, you know, of course, recognized it and completely was appalled and said that at this point on in the rest of this interview and him going forward, he is not going to answer any questions or do any interview where someone is asking him about his race and who he is in race politics. So going forward for the last 15 years, anytime he's sat down with journalists, they cannot ask him questions about him being black and him being a scientist. And it goes and it marries what exactly you said is that we've absorbed this, this, this normative thing from white and white public thought that if we, talk about race, if we talk about race politics and, and the racial formation of America, it's bad. We want to minimize that. We, we don't want nothing to do with that. And his inability or refusal to now speak truth to power has done a disservice to black folks. Now, mm. and, and a lot of people will say, well, why would you want him to engage that? This is my perspective. He is falling into this exceptional individual and exceptional individual black personality trope. I'm black, I'm an individual, but I want you to judge me, my merit and my content, and I don't want you to see my color, quote unquote, color. Now, he wants to help have people recognize his own particular assets, his own particular merit, you know, his merit and his his grit into his individual success. 
but he mm. doesn't want to credit that to any of his fourth grade black teachers he may have had, his sixth grade teachers, his 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 mother who pushed him, um, his father who may have had a strong educational value system for the household. He doesn't want to give credit to how black folks can't and I have always produced people of his caliber. So when you were sitting here saying, I don't want to have conversations that answer questions to that, you are hurting black folks by not being able to challenge white supremacy, white social frame, and the inherent belief that black people don't produce scientific scholarships and folks in the field, and that we don't have within our collective body the value and the assets to produce people of this caliber. He has to take that opportunity in every moment that people ask him and make that connection when 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 that when racism reared his head in those conversations he has to be able to say this is normative for black folks to produce people like me i am no exception i am no individual person that needs to be acknowledged based off my merit i am i am a common now you might not see that through the statistics and, and through analyzing and measuring the educational graduation rate of black kids, but it is very normative for black folks to produce umpteens amount of people who is professional and scholar in business and economics and science and astronomy and neurology and medical in the medical field. This is common for black folks, and it speaks to the indication of our history. So for him to, if for Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson to say, as a black scientist, to say, I'm not going to do any conversations about anybody asking me about race because you're not looking at my merit and my skills. And he's fallen into that Oprah Winfrey, rugged, individual, exceptional black person thing. He's fallen into that. And you can't do that. You're hurting our people. You're doing a disservice to us. When Kobe Bryant walks on that nature, he's doing a disservice to us. You are not the exceptional rule. And we have to dispel that leadership myth. We have to dispel that icon because that has substantially undermined progressive development, not only black leadership, but being able to create create a collective morale of how folks rise into public spaces and public um, persona and their obligation to help the people. See, if if we have black icons in entertainment and athletes um, in the sports, in the science field, in corporate America, who knows that my obligation, who knows that I am not no, I'm, I didn't get here based on my own personal assets, but I am the representation and manifestation of a, a larger group of people's effort to rise, then when you get to that position, you already know that you have an obligation to find ways to make cooperative networking amongst black folks. You already know that you have a moral obligation to build intellectual development amongst black folks. And you already know that right. you are, and you are obligated to create um, political and economic ties to do something to serve your people. And I think mm. I think we just we lo- I mean we don't, we're not having conversations on this on this level and deeply because when a lot of working class like working class black folks like us in our position collectively willing to challenge this black mm. iconic exceptional leadership. Um, myth and, and mentality amongst black folks, that has hurt us. And when that stuff show up in public uh, political officials and, and, and public office, 
these jokers really think they're in their place because I'm something. So, and, you know, and they show up at local schools doing speeches saying, well, if I can do it, you can do it. You know, that whole exceptional thing. Um, I come from the dirt just like you, and I rose myself up. I mean, sometimes we purport this mess more harder than conservative Republicans and Tea Party members do. And mm. we don't even know that we're doing it. We don't even know that mm. we're supporting ideas and and supporting a myth about America that has been long been debunked by the same people that you're supporting. You, know, a, you can't sit up here and make this exceptional, rugged, individualistic, you know, accomplish, uh, uh, accomplishment of yourself as if you are the, the, the measure of the tape of success like that. No, we have to talk about that this exists amongst the body politic of black folks, period. And when it doesn't happen in critical masses, it's not because there's something wrong with those individuals who's not achieving, but there's something wrong with the system that's marginalized a group of people to being able to produce masses of people who are experts in numerous fields and who can make progress to develop their peoplehood and who could be successful financially and on the economic level. That's a problem. That's right. complication. And we need to be able to, in, in private settings, as much as we can, hold <laughs> our black icons and leadership to task and hold them accountable for that and let them know, brother, sister, you are doing a disservice to us. You know, you're right. not helping if you sit up here making it seem like you have done this on your own grit and that people just need to watch and mimic you and copy what you did in order to be where you're at. No, that's definitely real, brother. And, I, and one of my thoughts this week was I was looking at the emotion factor and how a lot of our problems that we're driven so much by our emotion that that emotion has put us in situations where we can't have the dialogue that we need to have. We can't mm-hmm. have the focus mm-hmm. that we need to have, and because the emotions are so high. But that's no yeah. excuse. That is no excuse not to have the that's tough right. talk. Uh, I talk to young men all the time who come to my house about their futures and, uh, you know, their choices and dates and life and everything else. A lot of these conversations you have with these kids, you find out parents don't want to have a conversation with them because it's just a tough conversation. And emotionally, the mother or father isn't ready. And to me, I feel yeah. like, hey, you're not equipping your, you're not equipping your children, you're not equipping your, your your friends, your family, if you're not having that that conversation. You know, when you mm-hmm. have, even if you got white friends that hang around you and y'all can have a conversation over racism, it's mm-hmm. not good enough just to talk about the, the 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 known bigot. You have to talk about the inherent reason why. The entire everything Whether you got a white girlfriend And then you got You might have a white girlfriend The black guys like You might have to have that conversation ladies With your white girlfriend On why black guys like her And that's part of the white supremacy Slash black inferiority complex Might not have anything to do with love mm-hmm, You might mm-hmm, have to have that mm-hmm. conversation That's a tough conversation to have But you If you, that's really your friend Y'all supposed to be able to have that conversation. Same thing with brothers. You got a white male friend. That's your buddy. I come mm-hmm. to y'all, y'all can't say that, hey, a lot of why these sisters that surround us like you is because you're white. has nothing mm. to do with who you are because a lot of what you bring to the table, you're, em- you're emulating black guys. 
from the music to the clothes and everything else. You just have white skin to it. That's a tough conversation to have. It's going to evoke a lot of emotions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. But, you know, we got to have these tough conversations. We do. We do. This is, I mean, we are we're at a point where critical conversations about this stuff is 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 really important. It's really important, and we have to do it. Um, and if you and I, I got quite a few, you know, friends who aren't black. I love them, right. you know, but they love me and appreciate me for all of my views. I don't have to compromise anything around them in front of them because they know. In order to associate with me, you have to accept the fact that I'm a very pro-black person. I'm a very black nationalist. I believe in the the the, the working class and the development of black folks, and I back this stuff up with history. And it it allows them to feel comfortable in these complicated conversations because they know my they know my perspective, my point of view. And a lot of times I'm attracting folks, Latinos, Native Americans, whites, Hmong, and everybody who I'm really close to because of my views, because they agree with me. They're they like, yeah, dang, you know, this, I get this. That makes perfect sense. You know, but right. even on so many different levels when you're talking about relationships, politics, or all this other stuff, a lot of, you know, too much of us still finding that trend amongst us that it's very psychosocial, and it extends all the way back from how we um, psychologically adapted in harsh, racist environments from plantation mm-hmm. to sharecropping to peonage and convict leasing to civil rights era and, and to even beyond the black liberation movement to now what we call in the modernity, we tiptoe around white folks because of their feelings. We tiptoe around white folks because we don't want to be perceived in the wrong way and interpreted the wrong way. And we tiptoe around white folks because we want them to be gentle and comfortable and we want to be the accepted, accepted, um, accepted, you know, bridging, loving black person. And we ain't got time for that no more. Like, that's dumb. <laughs> there, there, I right. don't know. Anywhere in that, that has ever served us. I mean, I, some can argue that it served the purpose of helping us survive. I get that, but that's that's not relevant today. That's not relevant today. You, white folks, they and they've been doing it for decades, for a century or two now. You tell them the truth, they'll get over it. <laughs> you know, they will get over it, and they'll probably thank you for it. But they will get over it, and then two. We should never even at any point be concerned about their their psychic comfortability. We should never be concerned about, you know, where they at as far as our conversations and politics and economics and our interests socially and stuff like that. That's not we would never arrive at any progressive point if we're concerned and measuring ourselves based off of their comfortability. We have to be willing to have these conversations if we need to have them in public in spite of what folks is going to feel and think. And I think you're right. When it comes to our emotional intelligence and our emotional cultural factors of how we've taken care of ourselves as a people emotionally, we, right. we've, we, we've, we've not 
we've not instituted the right things amongst our people to really help support us in that. We we've struggled with that, you know. And I, Mother Atum does a real powerful piece in talking about those piece of those trend, um, those um, what she called those uh, those intergenerational, not intergenerational, but those transgenerational elements in our cultural habits and our and our um, emotional habits that arise out of our cultural necessity to survive and our cultural necessity to adapt from generation to generation under this environment. You know, I'm kind of paraphrasing kind of what she says, but she's basically piercing how we transfer emotional habits, emotional states, and well-being from one family nucleus to the next family nucleus um, unconsciously not knowing that we're instilling into our children um, habits of interacting with the environment that creates emotional responses that are genuflected from previous generations and genuflected from previous social climates. And we're still responding in the same way. It's the same same backing behind the research that um, Dr. Neville and, and Dr. Ace, uh, I can never get his name right, Dr. DeGru, Joy DeGru, when we're talking about um, post-traumatic slave syndrome and our, emo- and our traumatic response and effect emotionally from social conditions that have created, you know, that we've lived under. That's, that's what we're talking about. And there ha- I think there ha- internally there has to be some kind conver- not conversation, but direct action. And, and efforts to deal with the emotional complexity and emotional health of our people today. So that way when we're battling against um, white social frame in our everyday life and then institutional forces of white supremacy, we can have some emotional reserve to make the right decisions under hard pressure. No, and that's definitely true. And, that, and you know, brother, and that's one of the – that's one of the things that I, I've noticed a lot from my people, man. It's and, and a lot of that is courage. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is courage. You know, we we have to get that courage up. We have to start. You know, it it needs to be <laughs> before you run to seek outside help. First, you must have to, you have the courage to face the situation, and mm-hmm. a lot of us just don't have that courage anymore that we once had. It's kind of sad because this is why we, year after year, we're coming back and we're talking about how police brutality is is bad, how another brother's been shot, another sister's been killed, how the cop got off, how the system has let us down. But part of it is we haven't had the courage because we've been too busy at these dinners and and dances and and balls and everything Mm -hmm. else with these folks taking photos with them and, and, and label them our friends. Well, if they were really our friends, we would be able to have these uh, tough discussions with them. And not only uh, if, if the friendship was real, you could have the discussion, but we would get a lot more resolve. And, I, you know, I, I, I point this out all the time. Our children are the ones who are really going to suffer. And mm-hmm. part of it is because of this collective ignorance of, you know, especially from our generation, well, they listen to rap now. So mm-hmm. that means that they're not as racist as their parents were. Man, their parents listened to Smokey Robinson 
and the miracles, man. They mm-hmm. can give a shit less about a Jay Z track. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't make you not less racist. Dude. You don't think that some bigot out in Idaho don't listen to Stevie Wonder or Marvin Gaye? Right, that's right. So, you know, we have to get from beyond this thing of because they like our music, they can do our dance. Man, if you really want to know the truth, in my opinion, we're taking a lot on more stuff for them than we've been ever. Mm. I look at some of us, man, and, and I'm, you know, I was born in the 70s, and I can never remember seeing as many black folks fully tattooed as I see now. We used to take pride in that skin that we call black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you let it show, man. You wanted to show how beautiful you were, not cover it up. That's right. That's right. You know, we are, we're covering up our tattoos, and it seemed the lighter we are, the more tats we got. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's it's almost like we don't really understand this thing that we're doing. And when you sit back and you think about the psychology of it, and you say, man, you know, you, you can see a brother, you be like, man, yo, hey, this brother got tattoos from his hands all the way up his neck. If the neck ain't good enough, hey, damn it, it's a face. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot mm-hmm. about our psyche. Um, and be, the first time I've seen those things nationally, I, you would normally see white skinheads who would do that, brother. That's right. Right. So it, it's just a it's just a lot of changing that 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 we need to have the courage to do and in, in, in discussions to have, and we gotta have it with our children, because what I'm noticing is that we don't have the discussions with our children. Then our children get the blame for what they don't know, because the parents mm-hmm. ain't doing the research, and then, or the parents ain't doing having the conversations with the children. And then mm-hmm. we're talking about well, man, the next generation. Like, it's all they fault. Like, they, they came out of the womb defected. That has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the kids. That has something to do with the parents and then the parents before the parents of the parents and the parents of the parents' parents. You know, okay. these are generational things that need to be passed down. But it all starts with having that will to have that dialogue. And, it, and, and here's the thing. You might not even just having a dialogue don't mean you're going to find the answers. The dialogue... Mm-hmm will spark you looking for the answers. The more you talk mm-hmm. about it, man, you're going to be like, look, I'm sitting at work. I'm bored. There's nothing else for me to do. Well, shit, I've been sitting on my hands using this thing called Google and YouTube, doing nothing most of my day. Let me look this up and find out why is it this way. Where did this start mm-hmm. at? Find, you might mm-hmm. look up some stuff and, and find your history. You know, like you were talking about reparations. Man, if reparations was the focus, which in my opinion, that's the only conversation we should be having right now. Because mm-hmm. I think that part of our main issue is we don't have our own. If we did have our own, um, we had our own communities that we were policing, that we were the lawmakers in our own neighborhoods and towns and things of that nature, I don't think we would have as much black-on-black crime as everyone else says. And I would, you know what, here's what I would tell anyone. Go look at the areas the white folks are policing that are predominantly white mm-hmm. and see how little crime they have. Mm-hmm. Then, I, then I want you to go back and I want you to go look and see in the areas where all other ethnic groups are at. 
And the more white cops you see, the more crime you'll see. It's not crime than the cops. It's cops than the crime. Statistics mm-hmm. have proved. So the white cops are there for the crime to get started. And we have to understand that. We have to understand that dynamic, but we have to have the courage to have that conversation to say, hey, for one, we need reparations because you need to repair the relationships that you've uh, damaged to repair us as human beings. We've never got our reparations. We've never gotten our 40 acres in a mule. And at this point, the way this stuff been going on, they owe us 80, they owe us 80 acres and three mules. No. So, uh mm-hmm. It, it, it's really some tough stuff moving forward in um, 2016 uh, that we definitely need to discuss. One more thing I wanted to talk to you about real quick before uh, the show, just to just mm-hmm. to ask your opinion on it, because I, I, I know uh, you definitely have uh, have an opinion on this here, and that's education. Mm. Education. What, what do you think you know should be some of our uh, uh, Focus coming up because in a few weeks here I'm going to have a special rant radio show where we talk about charter schools, home schools, and uh, public schools again. And I really want to have a detailed dialogue and conversation, bringing some experts on to have a, a deep conversation on this. But what do you think should be some of the trends moving forward as far as education, brother? Mm, that's a good question. I know um, I'll say this in closing. Um, Minnesota, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities is the booming um, milieu and environment for charter school development. Why? Because the districts, St. Paul and Minneapolis, has a long history of marginalizing and being ineffective with uh, communities that wasn't white and primarily African American. So charter schools became a ripe opportunity because off the backdrop of Minneapolis Public Schools and St. Paul Public Schools failing the black community in educational um, processes with black children. Um, And I'm not pro-anti either. I think we, as large constituents within both institutions and both methods, we have to consider the options, figure out how we can be involved as a people to um, create formative Um, effective change to serve our community better, both public schools and charter schools. Um, As far as uh, homeschools, the research, I mean, there was just a journal put out in October, not a journal, an article put out in October that talked about why black folks are considering and making moves on homeschooling because of the long history of centralized white supremacy within public schools public education across the nation and while black parents are adopting and trying their best to do homeschool as a healthy alternative to make sure that their children are educated and safe, that's a deep conversation that has to be had. And there there should be a blueprint, a formative blueprint based on some type of collective research committee. I hope to God that it comes out or somebody's working on this, that talk that will at least lay down a game plan for black folks across the nation of if you choose to um, adopt or move into the direction of homeschooling, how you can do it and how what makes it work and how it can be effective. I think black, I'm hoping that we begin to move in a direction of taking more ownership and autonomy of our education. Now, whether that looks and takes the form of homeschooling 
whether that takes the form of more community schools, Saturday schools, or after-school schools that's completely after-school programs that's completely focused on black interest, black content, black methodology, black pedagogy, or that takes the form of not relying so much on the the, 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 the nine-to-five teacher and being able to make sure that if our child is going to be in this school for eight to nine hours, that we're supplementing that information and content at least three, four times out the week with something that's going to educate our children as a whole and keep them on the educational process so that they're healthy. And there's a lot, I mean, when you get into the dynamics of district politics and and system changes, I mean, it's, it's a whole conversation in itself I mean, from Minneapolis Public Schools to St. Paul and some of the surrounding suburbs. Um, I think there's, there's, I'm hearing about a guy named Anthony Galloway who got this Dare to Be Real piece program that I heard is off the chain. It's powerful. I'm, I'm going to be able to hopefully sit down with the brother and just learn from how his program has been more so a reactionary piece to students who are families who benefited from the decade ago policy of um, um, open choice and now seeing how these suburban schools wasn't effective and didn't have no intentional to be um, accommodating and, and supportive to uh, our children coming from inner city schools to these suburban schools because they, they went out there and our students were failing. And not only failing, they were dealing with hostile, visceral, and in, in more assertive in your face white supremacy than what they were getting here in Minneapolis Public Schools and St. Paul Schools. So, you know, it, it sounds like this brother got a powerful program that's really working with young people and working with families to really um, support that kind of retrend and making sure that there's a, a growing conversation around young people being politicized. But that's just one effort saying that as kind of indication of, like, we have to make small movements and efforts in all different facets of education to autonomize our education for ourselves. We have to stop thinking just because my tax dollars pay for their salary that they should be doing everything that I need them to do to educate our children. We have to take control of our children's educational process. And not only our children, we have to create more centers in our community that is focused on educating ourselves. So, like, we have the new school of African, African-American thought that meets every fourth Friday over in Golden Time um, Cafe, and it's packed. It's packed because our curriculum, our content, everything is designed based on the full experience of African and Africans and diaspora up and from the time of colonial, or not colonial, but European invasion and European encounter to Barack Obama about, you know, the transfer away from his uh, presidency. We're talking about the whole gamut at different times. And that effort is a manifestation that's part of a long trajectory of black folks always having venues of educating themselves about themselves, about their politics, about their economy, about their social space, their condition, their psychological health, everything. And that's right. the tradition that it's trying to echo, is that we need more of that. We, it, it, the new school of African-American thought can't be the only one. Um, Dare to be real can't be the only one. There has to be a, 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 a collective amount of efforts uh, that stems and, and, and funded and supported by black folks to 
educate ourselves and to create autonomy to educate ourselves. And I think in that, we're going to find a level of dignity, we're going to find strategy, and we're going to develop a less reliance on official public education and their pedagogy and their methods and start really doing for ourselves. And hopefully one day we'll produce a generation that says, uh, my parents didn't get this right. We need to create our own school. And they start making moves to create educational institutions for ourselves. So in closing, that's what I think. All right, well, I'm going to let you have the last word. Hey, I want to thank everyone who tuned in uh, today to the show. Uh, Brother Adrian, I, man, you always come and bring heavy bags every time you uh, come on. Um, I want to say this, if if you brothers or sisters out there listening, you know, enjoy it all in, soak it all up. I think in 2016, we should also be looking towards making our own holidays, too. I think the more we know about ourselves, there's a lot of for our people as black folk, whether it's here in America or abroad, that we can actually celebrate a lot of beautiful ancestors who've done a lot of things to move us forward. And them days should be celebrated. Um, you know, Sojourner Truth should have a holiday. Why not? You know, you're in Mississippi, man. You should be big up in that sister. You know, uh, Ida B. Wells, you know, she deserves a holiday too. And maybe we just need to do something in general to die. that's better than Christmas. Because as I told my daughter, I can't give no fat white dude no credit for nothing, especially when you know it's coming out of my paycheck. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> and with that that's being right. said, that's Rad Radio uh, for the week. Thank you once again, Brother Adrian. And uh, to everyone out there, y'all be easy and be safe. Peace. Thank you. Peace.